Y-O-U-Yuana Madonna. Y-O-U-Yuana. Well, that, of course, is our old friend Madge, isn't it? And if it's what the fella at the 24-hour fitness garage pressed me with when trying to upsell me on a free sleeveless tee with a four-year renewal of my membership, then this must be Dale Radio. And I, of course, am your host, Dale Seaver, and you're listening to another episode of Some Things I Enjoy, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And, oh, my goodness, we're right up against it, aren't we, here today? And I love being this close, and I've been I've been away for... Uh, last couple of times, so it just feels so good to be this close to our little Gowani. I tell you, I feel like one of the old, an ancient mummy or something whose magical immortality bandages only draw their power when this, uh, you know, when they're in close proximity to a sacred scarab or something along those lines. I'm sure many of you feel the same way too. Uh, <laughs> but we're here in, uh, 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 speaking of magic and cursed bodies, uh, we're here at a terrific and some would say romantic place for a special Valentine's Day edition also dead president's days are coming up but they you know they get a weekend i think that might be some some source of our problem here joanna is that we we have a three-day weekend for the folks that are in the ground but for love we only get a tuesday midweek or something i mean we got to get our priorities in order anyhow we are here at the morbid anatomy library uh with uh and i want i want you all to to welcome with your ears uh, the founder uh, of this place is a marvelous place, Joanna Ebenstein. How are you, Joanna? I am well. How Good. Are you? I'll shake your hand and make it official for the folks at home. And uh, this is exciting, huh? Valentine's Day is coming up, and uh, and uh, I bet you get a lot of dates coming through here, do you? Well, we have a, we actually have a big Valentine's Day class. I don't know if you're aware of this. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, well, see, one of our most popular morbid anatomy classes is anthropomorphic mouse taxidermy. We have a waiting list of about 100 long right now, and we have a special Valentine, Valentine's Day edition that will be tomorrow night, mostly couples, a few single people. They will be doing, um, I guess, two mice together in dioramas. That will be probably the focus, I'm hoping. I'm well, hoping. that's it's very sweet, isn't it? It's a popular thing. I'll tell you, I'm just going to move this mm. like that in your direction because I want to hear more about them. So what, what did they have to bring your own mice? Nope, the teacher provides the mice. She provides <laughs> all something. the tools, and she has an education in, in um, I'm sorry, she has a background in education. So she's actually an excellent teacher. She's also a tattoo artist by profession, but she's trained herself in the art, and I would say art, some would argue craft, of anthropomorphic animal taxidermy. So she teaches a mouse class and a quail chick class here at Observatory. <laughs> Ah, so you put little quails or little beasts and little, uh, like they're golfing or yeah, something. Yeah, do you if see you that guy to... right up there in the clamshell? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> little Miss Coney Island? There she is. There she is. Looking... That's one of the Boy, teachers. that's an pieces. elaborate thing, isn't These it? These are the yeah. kind of things that students can leave with from our Well, class. we'll have to take a picture of that, put it up in the during the show sometime. I put little images, so I'll put that up. But that's a, what is a little mouse in an enormous clamshell. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of complete dioramic tableau. It's um, a heck of a bivalve. It's <laughs> almost uh, suspiciously uh, large, isn't it? It is a little bit. But, <laughs> and perfect. Uh, but it, it fits the mouse wonderfully. Yes. And, uh, and so is there any kind of species of mouse anything goes? You know, I don't... That's a good question. These are all feeder mice that are about to expire, so they're, they're not killed specifically. <laughs> feeder is always... It's an unfortunate thing to put before your name, isn't it? Feeder. <laughs> it's unfortunate to be a feeder mouse. I do that's, agree with that's that. That's what I'm saying. My goodness. 
Oh, and so that's coming up tomorrow night. But you yes, can come and do it, but don't don't Day. bother showing up because you already got a waiting list, right? So yes. And and we should say that we're over here at Proteus Kiwanish, uh, which also houses a Reanimation Library. Fantastic. Place. Uh, again, disappointingly, not about zombies exclusively. <laughs> was that your guess? <laughs> but they have I'm sure something. You're not the only one who was disappointed. They have a that. lot of great things over there, and uh, and so we're over here in Proteus Kiwanis, right up along the banks uh, of the Kiwanis. Within smelling distance. My goodness, and it's been even. It's still. It's gotten quite cold here in New York, but still not cold enough to freeze <laughs> the Kiwanis. <laughs> You well, can does the that. ever freeze? I think it just uh, uh, gels a little bit. You can bounce things off of it, but that's about it. Coagulates in certain areas. <laughs> in certain areas, yeah. as some of us do. Uh, so let's talk about, <laughs> speaking of that, uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, we're in this room filled with marvelous items that you've assembled and collected from all over the world, probably. And, uh, well, let, let's talk about it a little bit. First of all, uh, your origins as a person. You're saying you grew up in the Bay Area. I did. Uh, Concord, California, suburb of San Francisco. Sure. There's. I think there's a BART train that oh runs. Oh, my goodness. You're one of the few people <laughs> who has ever heard of Concord. It's <laughs> out there. Well, you know, sometimes you didn't want to be on that train, I'll tell you. <laughs> No, Concord's not a place you really want to go. Trust me on that. Well, and hello to all of our listeners in Concord. Uh, Sorry, folks. Get out. And it was it. I was I was doing a little. I just I do a little, very little research for these shows. I'll have you know, but uh, I, I did see that something you said something about your father gave you formaldehyde as a child. Is that right? Yeah, my dad. Uh, I think my father secretly always wanted me to be a boy. So he took me out into the woods and taught me to look under rocks and catch insects and catch reptiles and not to be grossed out basically by anything. And when I was a kid, my favorite museums were natural history museums and I always wanted to start my own. And so uh, when I had a pet that died, first time I had a pet that died that I remember, my father went to the, actually I don't know where one goes and buys formaldehyde. Exactly. My father somehow <laughs> acquired formaldehyde in jars for me and I began to keep dead animals on my shelf at home. Huh. So I had a sea urchin that I'd gotten at a um, at a tide pool. I had a lizard that had died. I had a snake. I had baby birds. I would find jellyfish, all sorts of things. And what was, what was the pet, though? What was the animal? <laughs> uh, I had a pet snake and a pet lizard. Uh, the jellyfish was never a pet. All right. Well, that's, uh, and that's, you know, some kids uh, learn canning at an early age. <laughs> it's actually so not it's that just, dissimilar. That's Preserving. Right. That's right. Uh, and, and so you got so I imagine you were there. What would uh, uh, young Joanna be out on the playground while the other kids are? Oh, young Joanna was not a about, popular girl out on the playground. Out there looking at bugs and things. Is that what it was? Yeah, pretty much. Well, uh, but I tell you what, you've showed them, haven't you? I, I like to think <laughs> those so. other kids. You've gotten into <laughs> something that's pretty uh, interesting and unique in your own right. And uh, we we mentioned Valentine's Day. I said that already, but. Uh, um, anyhow, we'll, we'll keep talking about some of the romantic overtones that are here because I want to get back to that. But, uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, grew up and spent some, some time out there uh, outside of Philadelphia, and uh, they got a place there that you probably know about. They have the place that's the best known in the United States for being that kind of place. Which is the, the, Mütter, the Mütter Museum. Museum that's there at the College of Physicians or something uh, down there. And uh, I, I don't, I've been there myself, been there relatively recently, I'd say. And uh, that's if, if anybody knows about that, they might have a sense of what, uh, this, this is, although it's a completely di different operation. And you go into that place, and what they have is medical curiosities, I'd say, from, I guess they serve the college. Mm -hmm. Is that what they were set up to do? And you got the soap lady and that kind of things. They're famous. And, 
you, you definitely have the sense that people swallowed a lot of nails. <laughs> yeah, nails, uh, <laughs> pins. In that age, I yes. don't know. You know, my uh, great uncle used to chew on nails because he put iron in his blood, is what he said. And I've always been encouraging of my niece Katrina to do the same because sometimes she gets a little anemic. She does. But uh, so uh, let's get back to here because I'm looking at a skeleton. And I uh, have been for some time, and it's it's a little bit creepy. And uh, like some other things in this room, a lot of folks staring at me. What's the Because that's a real centerpiece here, uh, what's the origin of the skeleton? Yeah, that there? was actually a donation to the library. It came around October. A friend of a friend... Oh, just this last year? Yes. A friend of a friend's relative um, asked me if I would like a, a human skeleton that was in his collection. His wife didn't want it around anymore. Mm -hmm. So I took the subway up to his house and carried it home in a canvas bag. Re-articulated re, re it wrongly. I should add the legs are in wrong. I just learned. And I just purchased this vitrine uh, right before I inherited the skeleton. So it's actually kind well, that was fit. a fortuitous purchase, it, wasn't it? It sure was. <laughs> it, really... it sure was. And do you know anything about the origins of the, uh, is it a male? It is a male. Uh, I had in here a fellow by the name of Michael Bodden, who was the former medical examiner of New York City. He looked at it and he said it was a male in his early 30s, probably from India, because all of the medical specimens from India up until around the 1920s or 30s came from India. Really? Yes. That was an active uh, well, it's actually, source it, it, trade? Yes, and actually... the. The reason is even more interesting. I, I haven't verified this, but he seemed like a very knowledgeable man. He said that that people would put the bodies of the, de the deceased into the Ganges, and there was an island downstream where they would pull the bodies up and <laughs> take the flesh off and rearticulate them for the medical community. It was made illegal in the 30s, I think he said. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> be, uh, can you imagine that going down the Gowanus? Kind of easy to imagine. That, isn't <laughs> it, it is <laughs> disturbingly so. It wouldn't be in such a good and shape. And does this fellow have a name? That you do you name you the know, things? Do you get into that? I ask that a lot, and I, I have no. I'd never even thought about naming it, but maybe I should because so many people ask. Do you name the other thing? Because you also have some other uh, uh, taxidermy and that kind of thing. I do. Right? None do of they? it has a name. No. no. I guess well, you I'm have a. a no, it's all right. You have a scientific detachment, which I think is probably healthy <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to dealing with this kind of thing. Now you were telling me a little bit about. The origins of it. You, you had a you, you a photographer, yes, and uh, graphic design as, as uh, some of your other interests and, and uh, artistic pursuits, and so you were invited to do a fellowship. Is that what it was? In, um, in, in Alabama, what, how did that residency of some yes, kind? Yes, I, I had already been photographing medical museums and natural history museums, and so I met based him. on your childhood love of that kind of environment. You you found how did you come and stumble across the first one and say my goodness I want to do more with smallpox models <laughs> and that kind of thing. Actually, well, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. There are a few things that came my way as a young adult. Um, there was a book by Stanley Burns, who's a local collector of medical medical photography and, and other artifacts, and he had a book called Sleeping Beauty, which is a collection of postmortem photography. So in the 19th century, it was very common to photograph the dead. You know, as I say often, in a time when exposures were were incredibly long and, and death was, was common. Uh, so you would pose children to look as if they were sleeping. And there was a whole book on this, and kind of the introduction traced the whole history of it, and I was really intrigued by this. Mm -hmm. Around the same time, somebody gave me a Mütter Museum calendar. And so that's when I first realized there was a world of this stuff. And I ever bet that's since a popular that gateway, that calendar. <laughs> I have a feeling it might be, yeah. So. 
Uh, there should be a, a podcaster's calendar. I bet that'd get a lot of people hot for what I do. But, uh, uh, well, that's so that that sparked it. I'm just going to let it go that people were taking pictures of dead children <laughs> looking as if they were sleeping. But that's a whole other uh, area of fascination. Uh, and because not just children, they have, as, as I recall, they had images of people just propped up. That's right. And it's, it's a bit spooky, isn't it? But to the contemporary eye, yes, it is. That's that's the thing, and yet then it would have been something that, and it would have cost a decent amount probably right. for people. And it was yeah, it was so expensive to get photos done that maybe you didn't have a chance before the person died. Children were always dying of diseases. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, to me, it doesn't seem morbid to look at the, at death. To me, I, it's always been my conviction that what's actually morbid is our need to deny death. And I feel like I'm very curious in looking at images that seem bizarre to contemporary standards but kind of holding them up and trying to use those in order to to ascertain how we've changed as a culture where now we find these things bizarre or morbid right where does this idea come right. from and in fact we got to deal with it I, every <laughs> single person does it's gonna yeah. happen to all of us isn't it uh although really once you start uh, uh podcasting it's forever <laughs> yeah you're immortal now <laughs> so you don't have to deal with such that's no reason i concerns. got into this but uh, it's true that, and that's part of part of the the mission here. But it's not only. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess it is. It is the morbid, and so I guess it is about death too. But it's it's also an examination of the many ways in which uh, people ha ha are maybe malformed, or maybe they they they've caught things. I mean, it's not so much about oddities necessarily, right? No, I'm not as into that as as some people are. But it that's I think what I the way that I describe what I do is I survey the interstices of art and medicine, death and culture. So I'm interested in where kind of aesthetics and the body depictions of the ideal and the aberrant body intersect in interesting ways. Well, maybe there's another example. Well, let's talk about the 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 photo too. Yes. Uh, because uh, above the vitrine, uh, where uh, the unnamed uh, Indian fella is, uh, there's a, a, one of your photographs uh, that you said was on a, a pilgrimage that you made. And, and there, are there great sites around the world of this? Is there, there any place are. that's a, hot, a real hotbed of this kind of thing? Well, actually, that image in particular. So you're holding up the image of the anatomical Venus, which was an anatomical wax model life-sized that was built in the late 1700s by Clemente Sassini in his workshop. And that, I, I often call that kind of the Sistine Chapel of anatomical art. That's where people really make a pilgrimage to. There's many, many figures of that scale, full life-size, real hair, glass eyes, and, you know, embellished with pearls or tiaras on velvet cushions. Um, it's, they're, they're masterworks. They're beautiful, they're accurate, at least from what I understand, and that anatomically they're still used to teach but they're also fully they're also artworks in their own right sure and and, and were there a lot of them made uh there were not that many so this workshop was active in the late uh in the 18th century and the early 19th century and uh there was a whole other set of models commissioned by franz joseph in vienna and they're still also on view at the josephinum in vienna they're, they've been kind of painted over. They're not as high quality as those anymore. Mm. But they were carried, I think it's a collection of 2,000 pieces carried over the Alps on the backs of mules. That's how you have to do it. Uh, back then you did anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's, and you know the other thing about it, since it is Valentine's Day, it's a little bit erotic too, isn't I'm it? I'm glad you said that. It's quite, that, that, uh, she, she looks as if she's had a pleasurable... <laughs> Uh, a death, I guess, is what you'd say. Yeah, she doesn't really look very dead at all, does she? Uh, later <laughs> no. models really did look like 
dead dead figures or dissections often, but this is a very different thing. And that's that's what really intrigues me about the Venus here. I'm gonna take a look at her sure, while we talk sure. as well. Um, you know, if you think of her in the context of Baroque art, these kind of ecstatic saints, this kind of, you know, there, there are a lot of things going on here and it's not really easy to untangle all the strands. And in a way, that's why this is kind of the central image of, of my whole project mm -hmm. is I feel like there's so much going on here that, that the contemporary eye can't even understand it. And I feel like this is kind of informed by all these traditions of Catholicism, like effigies, wax effigies, or incorruptible saints. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these. Uh, if you go to, into churches in Italy, or sometimes even in New York, there's actually an incorruptible saint up by cloisters. It's, but you basically see the body of a person on display who has not decayed, which is a sign of sanctity, of sainthood in the Catholic Church. What do you and mean, an was, actual body of somebody? Yeah, an actual body of somebody. Up there by the cloisters is that's, one of these? That's right. It's this woman here, Mother Cabrini. She was... Uh, in the put, glass jar? That's right? right, in my glass jar. That's a reproduction of her, but you can see her body. I'll show you a photo later. And she's <laughs> oh, lying in a case so. that does not look that dissimilar to really? this. So I'm very interested in how all of these kind of aesthetic trends mm -hmm. and perhaps pornographic trends, I haven't seen anybody write about that, but I, I have read one reference that some of the wax anatomical artists also made pornographic pieces. And it's hard to imagine that wasn't the case when you well, look when at you how life when you got the technology... Well, that's what technology is always used for, right? Sex and death. That's the leading edge, often, I think I it believe, is. I believe because so. Because we got to move units. And <laughs> Even <laughs> in the 1700s. Those things moved. It's true, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and, and her, this, this gal, uh, her whole stomach opens up, and yes. you can, it's a fully uh, uh, anatomical model, so you can see all the innards, and, and they're all right. I don't know if they're exactly right, but they're still considered so, at least largely right. Wow. There might have been small Sure, we, we all fudge a little bit, don't we? <laughs> yeah, especially when you try to make something as ideal. Like, this is clearly an idealized rather than a portrait yes, of a person. Yes, yes. So. Even defying gravity a little bit. A, in some, a little bit. In some areas. Wax allows that license. And and the, what was the handsome couple that's over here? The relatives of yours, are they? No, I just thought they were interesting and... Um, but not the dead. Way. They're alive? Not now, I mean. <laughs> Not now, I'm sure correct. they're dead by now. I have no reason to think that they're dead. I do wonder if those children... In the photo. Yeah, up, yes. up there, if maybe one of them was dead, because it looks like one has been Ooh. added in as an Ooh. art piece over a photograph. That's true. Well, I but guess I'm that not happens, sure. too. Because sometimes with the hand coloring, you, you get a little... Yeah, but if, little, you, if you look closely, it no, looks she looks like, like what's underneath is really not quite right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, not because Yeah, when you closer. start looking closer at things, it gets... True of anything, I found, and and uh, and in the picture of the, of the of the brain baby. Oh, that's a photograph also from the same exhibition. So that was from a collection in Amsterdam, a medical collection going back to the 1700s, called the Vrolik. And how about the, these frogs that are all? Uh, oh wrapped yes, up? that was so. That was from a former class we had here, which was a mummification class, and two of my interns sat in on the class and made me some frogs for my well, that's, collection. That's beautiful, Shem. Some kids give te uh, teachers apples and things, but it's nice to have a mummified or two <laughs> frog or two to hang on your wall. Uh, <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And uh, you said it a lot of times. It's 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 coming back. Of course, whenever we deal with this kind of subject matter, and let me also say it's also a library. You got uh, tons of books Correct. and very uh, rare books in some cases uh, on this subject and uh, related subjects. I'm sure. 
and people can come in and browse or spend some time with it. Yeah, absolutely. Can they take images back with them? Or they can, can photograph they... with their camera, yes. Okay. And uh, you've got regular hours and that kind of thing? No, I'm by appointment at the moment. Sometimes I have an intern who will watch it for Sundays. That will be coming up sometime probably in March, but until then appointment only all right well that's fine and uh, uh but as i was saying you get with a lot of these uh, dealing with this subject matter you do get into religion in a big way and you're saying increasingly it's of an interest uh, to you maybe it always was of interest but but it's gaining a little bit is and uh, maybe you could just talk about that a little bit more because I see there are no, there's a nun that's up there in the box yep. and we've talked about some of the other saints and things and uh yeah, well, I... Maybe more about what you're finding right now that's, that's that's brought you to this conclusion. Are those some of the original snakes up there that you had, or those are different? No, those, those, my mother threw out my formaldehyde collection a long time ago. These are, these are new pieces. Well, somebody will find it in the waste stream, won't they? Uh, probably in the Gowanus <laughs> somewhere, I'm thinking. Oh, 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 um, well, so you yeah. don't even need any formaldehyde <laughs> out there, do you? I, I think... There might be a whole other embalming technique of just dipping things. They call that bottom yeah. part black mayonnaise. That's what they that said. Really that's what true? they yeah. That's what they came that up is with. Deeply Cuts disturbing. through plastic. Anyhow, so uh, we were talking about uh, a religion. Getting into yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. Well, the more I think about the history of medicine, and the more I began to learn about the saints, and you realize that until until medicine kind of won the battle, the supremacy for who who was in charge of trying to deal with death and disease. Religion, at least in Catholicism, was a big part of it. So if you look up saints on, again, Wikipedia, uh, you can find a saint for every sickness you might have. There's a saint for breast cancer. There's a saint for prostate cancer. There's a saint for diseases of the skin, one for eyes, one for this. And so there's, I'm very, very interested in how um, non-rational I think we can say religion's non-rational, not irrational, but non-rational. Non-rational ideas get sublimated into rationality. And the idea that medicine is kind of the, the last in a long tradition of strategies intended to cheat death, uh, in, in to kind of appeal to a greater power, whatever that greater power might be, to have like a little bit more time or to not not have a terrible skin disease or, or whatnot. And I'm interested in, in the ways in which medicine kind of absorbed the imagery and the functional meaning of religion in certain ways, if that makes sense. So it's always been in my mind to a certain degree, but also when you look at these images of, of anatomical models and anatomical art in general, it it draws from a really rich tradition in religion of, of dealing with mortality just as far as like I said, the incorruptible saints, the effigies, the use of wax for both of those things. And then also these ideas of memento moris or vanitas, which were objects intended to to encourage the the person to to consider their own death and to live a good religious life, knowing that death could come at any moment. But when you look at an image like the child's head bisected, um, it really does speak in the language of earlier art forms, to me at least. And so I kind mm -hmm. of see them as science age memento mores that have a veneer of rationality over them, but that maybe the reason that they're so interesting to people right now, and I mean not medical students, people like me, mm -hmm. is that it allows us to engage in, a, in kind of a contemporary idea of memento mori. I might die tomorrow, therefore, how should I be living my life? Maybe it doesn't have the religious meaning it did before. For me, it certainly doesn't, but it has definitely helped me live a life that I really want to live because I could, if I could die tomorrow and I want to go 
photograph medical models around the world, I'd better do it right now. Right. And so I, I feel like these, in a culture where we're increasingly detached from imagery of that sort, maybe that's why we're drawn to go there again, because it, you have this encounter that puts you into that mindset. And it, it reminds you about, uh, uh, about the end, really, and, yes. and that you should focus on your life. This is maybe summing up what you just said, yeah. but that's uh, that's uh, that's a, a good way to look at it, I, I think, and because uh, that's what I when I see when I see a brain like that, I think, oh my goodness, I got one of those, and uh, I better treat it right, or something along those lines. Well, I'm making a lot of homemade ice cream recently, so maybe I ought to cut back <laughs> on some of that. It takes a lot of egg make your yolks. Brain well, I don't, boy, I don't know. I just think health health wise, it makes me aware of my own. Even looking at this belly with the bones it makes me think that it's always eerie when I look at a skeleton yeah. like that because to think that that's inside you, it is a kind of magical transference that happens when you see that or some kind of a dislocation and think, oh my goodness, I got, I'm just a, a thing of bones walking around that could be yeah. sent down the river at any time. But uh, well, it's, it's powerful stuff and, and probably people thinking a lot about that this time of year, aren't they? <laughs> with Valentine's Day and all. <laughs> With Valentine, you've got to treat everybody right. I think is the way. And now, and also, uh, probably you do the same for the animal kingdom. If animals were coming here, they'd see their <laughs> their selves stuffed and think, "Oh my goodness, I better get back out there and and fetch some more bones." Live life to the fullest, is <laughs> way because you have an interest in taxidermy as well, uh, which isn't it's not really a side interest. It sounds like it's part and parcel of the whole whole it's, thing. It's, yeah, it's part of the same same thing. You know what I've always wanted to do is take a little chipmunk or something and inst and just put in elephant eyeballs in it and station it maybe, you know, near the door so somebody would walk in and say, oh my gosh, what I do to scare that little fella? He just has big eyes out there. But I've never had a chance uh, to do it. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so you think about, you think about, uh, the life that you're you're now you got a big project that's over there at Coney Island that's that's up now yep we've got a project out that touches on some of these themes actually in, in a more subtle way but so basically this exhibition which I did with Aaron Beebe who was my partner in that project is about the forgotten history of turn of the 20th century Coney Island where on an average day in your your great-grandparent who was going there um, could be buried alive in a glass coffin with 12 other people where you would go into the ground, have dirt thrown on top of your coffin, watch morning ceremonies above, then travel through Hades, then through heaven to emerge. <clears throat> you could visit uh, Lilliputia, which was a permanent settlement of three. Wait, wait, hold on. Before we get to yes. the tiny people. <laughs> so, so, and this sounds like a lot of fun to me. You, you get <laughs> I think so. In the glass coffin, you, and then what, you'd be buried alive. And then you just kind of glossed over the second you'd go through Hades oh, yeah, and then out. What is it? It's on a track. So, I, you know, I don't know. I've only read the news. There's a New York Times article about it the year mm -hmm. it premiered, and this is mostly the information I'm going on. They're not very specific about how. But it was a ride. It was a ride. Okay. Yes. And in Hades, what I didn't mention, which is actually pretty pertinent with today's Occupy Wall Street, you would see monopolists being tormented in hell. So this As is well around you should. 19. I want to say it's 1906 or something like that. And then you would go through heaven and see all this. You'd kind of emerge into the good side, and then you would, you would come back up to earth. My goodness! Well, that's one of my. Uh, that's one of the ways I hope to go. I think buried in a glass coffin. In Hades with. Uh, I don't know. Broken down amusement ride. Yeah. Well, I can think of worse ways. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Well, that's uh, my grandfather died in the bed of a woman. I'd say that's not a bad way to go. I think a lot of people <laughs> agree with you on that. Raise the bar. But so then back to this old timey thing. Uh, 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 you an examination of all the other things. What was the Lilliputia thing? So Lilliputia was a permanent settlement of, I believe it was over 300 little people who had who lived in a um, half-scale Nuremberg, based on medieval Nuremberg. They had their own uh, midget fire patrol, uh, vaudeville house, and I'm trying to remember, they had a few other things too. It's been a while since I've read the text. Could you spend the day there? Well, you could, yeah, you could just walk through there and check it out. You could, you could just watch them living their lives, walking around doing their stuff. Every half hour, the fire brigade would respond to a false alarm, so you get to see them do that. Apparently, children really loved that little pusha. But then you could also, um, you could go to one of two venues that sold um, candy shaped like different kinds of meat. This is true. There were two. There were also two places that you could watch a tenement candy fire. Candy shaped like meat. Could, Yes, different kinds of meat. So it could be a ham hock, it could it, sausage, everything, every a whole deli, but all candy, a candy deli. Sounds basically. pretty good. I think so. I wish I'm somebody would do I'm that now. I'm surprised it doesn't still exist in I Brooklyn so somewhere. I wish it did. Some fellow with a mustache. <laughs> yes, he's probably yeah, cooking it up. Right. That's right. God, let's hope. <laughs> let's, let's hope for a... anyone out there. This idea can be yours. Contact me for more information. The meaty candy shop. And, and, well, it sounds like a lot. They don't have all that stuff now. They don't now. have that stuff now. So what have you found? Actual items that were from, because this is with the Coney Island Museum. I worked Island with the Coney Island Museum, which has um, some artifacts that are related to it. Mostly um, old guides to to the, um, to the Coney Island. So there's photographs and text. We used a lot of text from the time. We went through their archive of newspaper articles. So basically, a lot of stuff drawn from their collection. And then the other thing, the other couple of things we did is we borrowed... Another thing that was at Old Coney Island were museums. So before, now we think of museums as a pretty highbrow kind of thing. But back in the 19th century and early 20th century, there was this whole world of for-profit museums, that dime museums they were called, that were maybe what we might call tawdry today. Some were more so, some were less so. They included waxworks and natural history. Barnum, before he created his circus, that, that's how he made all his money, was doing... Barnum's American Museum. Well, like Ripley's or one of these things. A lot uh, like Ripley's yeah. or one of these things. And we borrowed from um, a private collector up in Toronto had purchased one of the oldest extant dime museums. It was on view, I think, from the 18... I want to say from the 1840s until the 1990s. And he purchased the entire collection and let us borrow a bunch of objects from that. So we did kind of a dime museum-inspired installation. We, we changed the whole museum into a 19th century museum. And then we created this um, this Cosmorama, which is a... So basically, one of the main themes of the attractions at early Coney Island were disaster-themed. And in 1911, Dreamland, one of the three parks at Coney Island, burned mm -hmm. down in a devastating fire, and they never rebuilt. But when you read the transcripts of how this fire happened, it reads like one of those attractions. There's the midgets come out. There's a, there's a lion who who come, who's like at the top of one of the rides, and his head is ringed in flame, and the lion's name is the, Black the, Prince. And <laughs> well, couldn't the couldn't the, the little fire company do anything about nobody this? Nobody could. Everybody tried. Hoses but weren't it, big enough. The hoses. There, there's a lot of different speculation on why why it didn't work. Um, 
It, My goodness. But when you read the description, it really, really felt to me that this is the kind of thing that if they'd rebuilt Dreamland, there would have been an attraction reliving the fire. Based on the fire itself. Yeah, and so Aaron and I decided that we'd kind of recreate this as if there was something like that made that was still on view. Mm -hmm. So we we had to do a lot of research to find who were the people who can build things like this anymore. It has a front lit and a back lit moment. It tells the whole story with a recorded sound track and lights where you How see the fire. How big of a thing is this? It's it's a pretty it's a small room. You walk into a small room and you are completely <laughs> oh, surrounded it's a, by it. An immersive installation. Well said. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and and this is over there now. This is over there now. It's on view until the end of the summer. So we invite you to come down. So and when check people that are out there going, I will tell you something. I, I I like to go out there because it's I like to be alone, <laughs> especially <laughs> this time of year. It's uh, we, we're talking about some of the. Before we got started, we talked about some bleak places in, in the country here. That's one of them, and I think in, in, in the winter. In the winter is a real, that's if you just uh, if you like gray skies and uh, yeah, it's kind not of much going a fascinating on. place to go in the winter. Actually, I recommend it. Yes, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I take it. You might want to take a Kindle or something. <laughs> a Kindle, <laughs> you know, whatever these folks have, <laughs> and get out there and just. Well, it's a little bit uh, well, it's a little spooky as far as yeah. I'm concerned, but. Uh, uh, that's, uh, and so, okay, so, so what's it called? It's called the Great Coney Island Spectacularium. That sounds good. Uh, <laughs> and so, okay, well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's terrific. And I, I'm still thinking about those, the, and we don't recommend now, if you see just like little people, if you see a family of them, don't just follow them around. Unless you're in China. <laughs> China seems to have uh, some some of their amusement parks have attractions that have a lot of similarities to early twentieth century Coney Island. They they sometimes are a little bit behind when it comes to <laughs> comes to things, isn't it? In some ways, very much ahead, but in some things, you think, no, I don't think that's recommended. That's um, uh, <laughs> so well. Uh, let, let me get back to the the collection here a little bit because, of course, that required looking into the archives of Coney Island. And here, uh, uh, probably you, you've answered this question many times, but uh, uh, how, how does one go about procuring these kind of a, kind of a things? A good question. I mean, I I've been doing it for a long time now. I I'm a junk collector. I go to the flea market pretty much every weekend, so I just pick things up here and there. My sister lives in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which has antique malls that are still priced as if it's 1985. So That's I do right. Don't tell shopping. anybody. I don't mind. People go to Lewisburg. Keep these places afloat. I, well, yeah, I wish keep them in business, would. absolutely, yeah. because uh, once eBay started, it really it gutted that whole thing. Yeah, it did, And uh, now people know what they have, and it's disappointing. Some of them do. <laughs> disappointing. Least. You have to search for typos and things sometimes on, I, the, on the eBay. That's mm -hmm. my secret. Yeah, I, I've heard that one before. Um, a lot of the stuff here I've also found in the garbage, believe it or not. That cabinet, the wood cabinet okay. and glass. I live in Park Slope where people get rid of things for unusual reasons. That was just sitting out. Um, that cabinet came from my grandfather. you got to be um, careful. Sometimes should, people are getting rid of stuff because of bed bugs. Yeah, that's... I, you I, should spray, be, I spray it down. It would do me well to be a little bit more cautious about things like that. But so, and so, uh, and were you from a family of collectors? No, not really. I guess a little bit. My mother does not throw anything away. That's her point. That, I, don't think, that, I wouldn't call her a collector, but she's more... <laughs> she can't let things go. My dad, I guess, collects a little bit. He collects little figurines and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess I come by. Of a morbid nature? They're happier. No, no one else in the family. Sunny disposition. 
think I have a pretty sunny disposition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you do. I was just wondering about the figures there. Yeah. You're delightful. Oh, I thank you. And uh, <laughs> and so, well, that's and that's a happy one. What's that's a happy one. That's a little sugar ball. There you go. It's not that's right. Yeah, it's a little woodpecker next to it. Alligator. <laughs> but that's all right. And, uh, 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 you know, here's what happens. I start looking at stuff, and I get distracted because <laughs> I spent some time uh, collecting things here and there and picking things up and old photographs and things. You just never know. But a lot of the, a lot of the great flea markets have gone, I think. They yeah, just definitely. can't get the kind Especially of stuff. Especially here in New York. Oh, forget about it. Right, absolutely. You got it. And, 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 uh... <laughs> So and and in the in the photographs you still have some of them. Are you still actively photographing some yeah, of the places I'm, you I'm, go. You still t taking the tour and seeing things. Yes, I am. I, I always am. And in fact, I I think of photography kind of as another form of collection. I'm I'm really interested in the idea in which, unlike painting or drawing, where you have a limited output or a smaller output, with photography, so much of what the photographic eye is is what you discard and how you display things. And so I'm very interested in the ways in which curating collections of objects and collections of images are very similar and I, I definitely feel I think of myself in the tradition of the grand tourist traveling around and collecting collecting my experiences and, and sharing them in various ways and through my blog I do that as well so I do a blog called Morbid Anatomy which is very much about curating found things that I find on the web or curating my own experiences and, and making them available to people and you write along with that, too. I guess I do a lot of writing as well. And are there places you still want to get oh, to? Oh, hell yes. There's a lot of places. I've got a very long list. I, I've never been to Spain, uh, and S Spain or Portugal. I'd like to spend more time in Central and South America. I would like to go back to St. Petersburg. I would like to spend more time in Asia. I've only been to Asia once, and uh, I was really intrigued. and I'd, I felt like I couldn't really understand it. I'd like to go back and spend some more time there. Is there an active uh, amount of this kind of thing going on there mm. they deal with death a little it's little different in asia uh medicine just had such a different tradition uh, mm. the idea of anatomy was from what i from the very little i understand was introduced by from the west in the 18th century and until then i just don't think they thought about medicine in that way uh when you look at ancient ancient collections you see acupuncture tools you know like that idea goes way 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 back for mm -hmm. them and i just think they had a different you know, you might say more holistic view. They didn't take things apart in the same way. Now, now of course, there is stuff like that there. And there are things I'd like to see. For example, Japan has a famous medical museum, and Thailand has got one as well. Korea didn't have any museums like that that I found, though I found some kind of backstage collections that were pretty cool. Fascinating. Well, have you ever been up to the uh, the waiting area by the pharmacy at Rite Aid? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Talk about say. your morbid anatomy, boy. <laughs> My goodness, there's some nice people up there. We spend some time picking up prescriptions and things. So, anyhow, As you do. <laughs> take your camera up there. You'll have plenty to blog about. Uh, well, uh, and and what's the, what's the oldest item in the collection? Oh, do you wow. know? Oldest. That's tough. I'm going to look around and see what looks old to me. That's... I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I would be hard pressed to say oldest. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think the oldest is looking around? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's, well see, if you throw in the photography, though, you'd probably just, just screw well, it yeah, up a little bit. Well, you have the objects and the photography the are, are what you're talking about. Then it gets it gets more complicated. If you want to talk about objects and photography, I have something that might be the oldest. Um, actually, a couple that might buy for oldest. These are 
these are natural history specimens going back to the Medici's collection. Oh, and my that's goodness. in the backstage where it La Specula, where you saw those anatomical Venuses. Uh huh. And so that's a very, very ancient natural history collection. Looking at a couple of monkeys here. Yeah, and then I've, oh, there's something else I have. Maybe it's built on my wall. Yeah, this one. This, if you see the arm in the jar here, I, I will yeah. look at it, yes. So it's basically, if, if you look at the photograph, it's a human arm with um, a bit of lacy cloth covering up one side, and it's holding an object. That's a very old medical preparation from probably the 1600s. Wow. So there you go. Well, that's, Cheating that's, a little bit. No, that's all right. That's that's how it is. It's a, it's a wonderful collection of things. Well, thank you very much. And the photography is beautiful, thank and you. it's so great that it's, it's available online. And, and, uh, and you just got back from the Creation Museum not long ago <laughs> down there. Highly Speaking of religion and the intersection of things, so we urge we're just going to put in a plug for them because we, we want people <laughs> they to go don't down need there. Your plug, I guarantee you, they've got more money than God. Well, I got about forty people listening to this. They'd be eager to get the, get down there. Get in the car and get stand in right line. Now. Get down to Kentucky after. You. It's worth it. Um, well, and so that that the the Coney Island up through does it have an opening event or something. You're going to do some kind of. I thought there was a march, something or another. We are going to have a press event in March. Um, I could look up the date. I forget exactly when that is. It's going to be Thursday. It's going like to kind of be a soft reopening for the season. And can yeah, people go to that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. And then we've got. Uh, a Congress of Curious People. I don't know if you know about this. Sure. I, well, I heard a little something <laughs> about it. So, uh, okay, this is something that Aaron and I have been putting together for the patents. This is our third annual Congress for Curious People, which goes along with the Congress of Curious People. Yes. So basically, this is a two-tiered event uh, downstairs at Coney Island, USA, and upstairs at the Coney Island Museum, where during the weeknights there will be lecture performance pairings exploring, um, how do we say, um, Curiosity and curiosities broadly considered. So downstairs there will be performances by by made freaks or born freaks, and by people who do all sorts of crazy things. Upstairs mm -hmm. we'll have lectures that kind of explore the same ideas. It will culminate in a two-day symposium that will have panels on religion and spectacle and Coney Island. And um, trying to think of our panels now. We just changed it a little bit. Anyway, four panels that will kind of play around with these ideas and have scholars and practitioners from all over the country talking. And it's a singles mixer? Um, on, you know, we wouldn't say it that way, but sure. <laughs> who knows? I, who knows? Yeah, well, who reward knows? the could, curious could out there. Could be. <laughs> I think stranger things have happened. I bet you. I bet you when that, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's when did you say? That will be April 13th through 22nd, with the symposium being the 21st and the 22nd. Okay. Of April. And you got that? That'll be up on the website. That'll be up on the website. And for it, sure. It's morbidanatomy.blogspot.com. Yeah. I'm glad you put the extra blog spot in there. I yeah. like that. I, I always like the long. I like longer websites <laughs> myself. Yeah, don't don't we all? I do. I just want more in there. <laughs> I, once I get typing, I don't want to stop right away. <laughs> it's just fun. Uh, show well. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Of course, uh, have fun with this uh, mouse thing. Uh, are you going to be yeah, here for that? Yeah, take stop on by. Yeah, I'm here for every single one. I photograph wow. every piece oh, at the end goodness. of the class. I well, think this will be my favorite one yet. I'm pretty excited about it. Just, the possibilities of putting two together as opposed to the single. But this is the new thing for this year is putting two? Well, I'm thinking because it's a couple's event that hopefully oh. people will do things Oh, I together. see. I see. It's not, it's not mandatory if no, you get a couple loners in there. Not mandatory. A couple lonely my, hearts showing up. My expectations up. are high for upping the ante of, of well, tableaus using more than one. You, you've already created a very erotically charged environment here, <laughs> so I think that uh, people will be 
drawing on that when they're down here. Whenever you're close to the Gowanus, you feel good. So uh, that that's uh, that's a lot to look forward to. Well, I, I just wish you so much success with everything, and thank you for taking some time to sit with me. Down. Oh well, it's it's wonderful. Now I got a little bit of business of my own to just finish up here, uh, but you don't have to do anything. Uh, but just just let me say thank you, and I really appreciate it. Um, now, you know, you were just out in L.A. out there at the last Lavasi. How do you say it? I was listening to how you were saying it. So I was <laughs> oh, that's how you. I say it, and I'll keep saying it that way. But uh, doing a great event. We, we're big uh, fans of those folks out there. Get out to see them. And, of course, I was in L.A., and I, was, I sat down. You know the Lawrence Welk program? I do. Well, I sat down with Mary Lou Metzger from the Lawrence Welk Show. Wow. And uh, wow is right. It was a dream come true for me. And uh, along with Mark Horowitz and the, and the fellows in the band, and, and uh, Dan Lee was mixing drinks. Anyhow, uh, Mary Lou sent me a nice little thank you package uh, from the Welk Enterprises there, from, from the offices now. And it was a, a, a deck of cards with all the characters from Lawrence Welk on it. And a real handsome hat. So I just want to say thank you, Mary Lou, for the for the gift package. I appreciate it. And uh, she was just uh, just I, I've said it before. She just liked talking to a rainbow. She was absolutely fantastic. And uh, you think some of those folks they, they maybe they'll be frozen in time or something. Maybe they're not going to be with it. This she could talk about anything. She was absolutely excited about things. A lot like you, Joanna, is what I'm it was. I'm talking to a rainbow. No one's ever said anything like that. <laughs> well, about feel me free before. to put that up somewhere. I think I might. I'll put on a plaque somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was wonderful, and that means that uh, we're going to do another live show uh, back here uh, at the Brooklyn Lyceum, Monday, February 27th. And if you like listening to live podcast tapings, what better time than 8.30 p.m. on a Monday? Perfect. In the dead of winter <laughs> along the Gowanus. I tell you, I, I book my own shows. I don't know if you could tell, but uh, we got the primo spot once again at the world-famous Brooklyn Lyceum, and all the information is up on the website. 8.30, we'll start right away. Andrew Bacone is going to be providing beats with his drum machine, and we've got Nina Cacciadorian, great artist, and uh, uh, Stephen Patalo, uh, uh, who uh, is, knows everything there is about... Uh, music videos so we're going to talk about uh, and and nina's done a music video have you seen her I one about no. the jitney no oh yeah it's called a uh, jitney's just a freaking uh, that's not the word she uses uh, bus and uh, all about the hampton jitney really uh, that's great. It, I it, to check that out. it's a beautiful thing so uh, we'll be over there and then uh till next time i'll be filling my whiskey bottles with embalming fluid in hopes of preserving the contents inside now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy Oh my goodness, a lot of people came together to make this season possible, and my thanks go out to all of them, including the folks behind the season four take on the theme song, originally composed by Steve O'Reilly at Engine Sound. This version is arranged by Lisa Mezzacappa and John Finkbeiner, performed by Lisa Mezzacappa and B.J. Anderson, recorded, mixed, and mastered by John Finkbeiner at New Improved Recording in Oakland, California. Thanks also to the following generous, good-looking, and fun-at-parties friends of the program. Cole Akers, Miranda Banks, Rachel Bears, Stefan Bodeker, Hannah Bowes, The Brain Flutter Foundation, Melissa Broder, Adam Bronstein, Justin Carroll, Tom Carroll, Amy Chang, John Charles, Tanisha Christie, Rachel Turner, Pamela Clapp, Julie Cummings, Amanda Duarte, Emily Elson, Dan Engber, Alex Estrovis, Sidney Erickson-Feinstein, Lauren Fitzgerald, Aaron Gabbard, Tanya Glanz, Jay Harlow, Betty Jo Hallett. My goodness, this is a lot 
of Bill. Thank you. This is outstanding. Meredith Hudson, Melissa Yeager-Miller, Steve Lambert, Daniel Lee, Maura Madden, Shauna McGarry, Michelle Meggett, George Noctree, Peter Noctree, Susan Newberry, Aaron Nichols, Steve O'Reilly, Ann Philbin, Elizabeth Eva Rossoff, Gabe Roth, Rebecca Rothbaum, Trinidad Ruiz, Jacqueline Skaggs, Shannon Stratton, Joel Tompkins, Karen Weber, Gabe Weiser, Will K. Wilkins, Brian Yeh, and 10 anonymous friends. Thank you all very much.